Welcome to the Standing Up to Pots podcast, otherwise known as the Potscast. This podcast is dedicated to educating and empowering the community about postural orthostatic tachycardia syndrome, commonly referred to as POTS. This invisible illness impacts millions and we are committed to explaining the basics, raising awareness, exploring the research, and empowering patients to not only survive, but thrive. This is the Standing Up to POTS podcast. Hello, fellow POTS patients and compassionate people who care about POTS patients. I'm Jill Brooke, your horizontal host, and today we have an episode of the POTS Diaries, where we get to know someone in the POTS community and hear their story. So today I'm excited to be speaking with Catherine, who has kindly volunteered to share her story so that the rest of us might benefit. Catherine, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited. So let's start with the easy stuff. Where are you? How old are you? Who do you live with? So I am in, obviously, the USA. I'm in South Central Pennsylvania. I'm 24. I live with my husband, Brandon, and my two puppies. Puppies. Puppies, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Okay, and what else should we know about you? What are some basics? What are you passionate about? What do you like? I like all kinds of stuff. I'm a holistic health coach, so I'm really, really passionate about that. That's why I went into the field. I did it originally to kind of fill the gap between the patient and the doctor. I just felt like something was missing in between there, like the support and the education and things like that. So that's why I do what I do. I'm super passionate about that, super passionate about raising awareness for POTS and just being a professional patient advocate is what I like to call myself. So that's what I love to do. And my normal activities that don't involve POTS are I love to sing and I like to do dance workouts when I can and play with my puppies, take naps and, you know, watch TV, read good books, that kind of stuff. Very nice. Okay. So what would your friends and family say about your personality? I get a lot that I'm very bubbly and outgoing. (laughs) (laughs) Very nice. Yes. And you said that you were in South Central Pennsylvania, was it? Yes. Okay, so what is your town known for? She was. Um, we're right outside of Gettysburg, so the whole war thing. <laughs> Probably <laughs> lots of history, for sure. <laughs> Very cool. I was just reading today about how during the Civil War, a lot of the soldiers would get sick from eating rotten apples because an apple was such a delicacy back then. Like that was the tastiest thing that they would get like all month. And so they would sometimes eat them a little too early and get stomach upsets. But it just was a good reminder that, oh yeah, there was a time when like an apple was the highlight of your day. That's so funny because my town is also known for apples. (laughs) Oh, interesting. (laughs) Very cool. So if we made you brag about yourself, what are you good at? Gee whiz, I don't know, (laughs) probably a bunch of different (laughs) stuff, but I'm a little bit good at a lot of things. I wouldn't say that I'm like expert in many. (laughs) Okay. That's what I like to say. Yeah. And if you had a life before POTS, can you give us a snapshot of what that looked like? Yeah, so I most likely had POTS Mm, I have to think about it. Um, Probably since I was about like 13 or 14, but it didn't become like debilitating until about 16. 
up until then, you know, I, you know, went to school, I had an awesome life, I had a house in the country, I would go outside and play with my friends every day and my dogs, and I'd go to dance class and voice lessons and piano lessons and violin lessons, and I was very musical. <laughs> so I did a lot of that as a kid, and I really, I was told I was hyperactive, and I never settled down, and I was full of energy and all of that kind of stuff. So what was happening that made you realize something was wrong? So I was starting to get migraines every single day. And then I would get heart palpitations, like heart flutters. I would feel like I'm going to pass out. Just really lightheaded. I'd be shaky. I'd have what I called at the time anxiety, but I now know was just the physical manifestation of POTS. So that's kind of what started it all. Just overall feeling very unwell. For me, my POTS happened after I got bit by a tick and contracted Lyme disease. Uh, so that is my root cause. So it was really right after that um, summer of 2015 that I became unable to function. So you said you would call it anxiety. Is that because somebody told you it was anxiety or did you just assume or? Both. So that's one of my favorite, you know, POTS misconceptions to like debunk when I talk about stuff is they told me that it was anxiety. I actually had a doctor. So um, long story short, I had the study hall class in the cafeteria. And then right after that, I walked up three flights of stairs to my next class in high school. And when I got up to the top of the stairs, I had heart palpitations. I thought I was going to fall over, you know, like I was out of breath, like dizzy, all of that stuff. And I actually had a doctor tell me that I was afraid of stairs. <laughs> and I was just sitting there thinking, uh, what the heck is happening right now? <laughs> because the only reason I did, I hate that time of day is because I feel so crappy when I walk up the three flights of stairs. Like, wait, 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 wait. Yeah. Paint a picture for us. <laughs> How did this conversation go? It was the doctor asking me like a similar question, like, well, what do you do that makes you feel the most unwell? And that was my answer because <laughs> I sat for like an hour and then stood straight up and walked up three flights of stairs. So obviously now knowing what I know about POTS, that was like a huge trigger. Like if I knew it then I would have taken the elevator or I would have been more hydrated, you know, stuff like that, that you help control your POTS. So it's not quite so bad. Yeah, so I was just sitting there and me and my mom made eye contact like, yeah, we're not going to get any help here today. <laughs> so he literally thought that you had like stepophobia? Yeah, it was crazy. And I got that so often. And then after I think the step thing kind of left his mind, it was, oh, you just have anxiety and like you're having random panic attacks throughout the day, which again is not true. But I thought it was anxiety because you'd get that sort of heart racing, you know, shaky adrenaline and you would be like, you know, what's wrong? So then there was anxiety that came from that, but it wasn't the cause of the symptoms. And at the time, I didn't know why the symptoms were happening or what the triggers were. So I just assumed like everybody else said it was anxiety for a while until I decided to keep fighting for an answer. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I remember that I used to have that feeling and when I would have that feeling, if I was alone, I wouldn't want to be alone because I didn't know what was going to happen. And so I started to wonder if I was having like anxiety about being alone because I think it was just like by the time I got somewhere in a public place where I was around people who would notice if I passed out, it would yeah. pass. But yeah, it's easy to get the wrong idea about what is causing your issues. 
But it sounds like your mom was supportive from the start. Yes, my mom was the best. She is a nurse. She's an RN. Thank God. She actually diagnosed me, you know, diagnosed quotations because she couldn't because she's a nurse. But um, with POTS before I got my diagnosis, and that is what made us search out a doctor that knows about POTS that would then give me my actual official diagnosis. Oh, thank goodness for mom. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So how long did it take you to get a diagnosis then with her help? Oh, wow. Um, probably about five years. Oh, still. Yeah. So I'm trying to think. Oh, wait, just kidding. That was my Lyme diagnosis. Let me rewind. <laughs> I, got a, I got quite a few diagnoses. Diagnoses. <laughs> in this process so the timeline gets a little funky i think i was probably like completely unable to function for about two years before i got like the official pots diagnosis oh so that sounds bad can you paint a picture of that time when you were at your worst yeah so it was i got bit by the tick the summer after junior year so i was going into becoming a senior in high school and i literally couldn't function. I'd feel like I was going to pass out. I'd get sick to my stomach. I wasn't hungry. I had these just debilitating migraines. Incredibly dizzy. That was probably the most concerning part is just how dizzy I was. I was having trouble sleeping. I was having trouble calming down. When I'd try to sleep, like my body would like start shaking. Like it wouldn't allow me to relax. So I learned a little bit more later of like, you know, why stuff like that happens. But it was awful and I couldn't go long distances without getting really, really tired, constant like muscle twitches, headaches, just feeling like I'm going to pass out, um, had no strength, just chronic fatigue, that kind of stuff. Ooh, wow. And so two years you spent like that? Yeah, so my POTS symptoms started probably on and off like about a year prior, but then for whatever reason, that bite just sent me over the edge. And knowing what I know now, I think I actually had Lyme disease as a child and I contracted it again due to this bite. So that was about one whole year where I was like in bed, but not able to function normally for two. I actually had to go to cyber school. I couldn't go to school anymore my senior year. So that was a huge bummer, bad timing for sure. But it ended up working out, you know, pretty well for me. So thank God I had that opportunity. Yeah, well, I was going to ask what that was like, because that's a time where, I don't know, you have like dances and activities yeah. and that sounds really horrible. Yeah, it, it was awful. It really was. It was horrible. You know, you lost connection with friends. You know, the friends didn't understand. Oh, you were fine yesterday. Why aren't you fine today? I got a lot of that. So that was very exhausting. So I think I just stopped explaining myself to people and kind of isolated myself for a while, other than my very close friends, which was my neighbor. So like she'd come over and hang out with me. So that wasn't hard. <laughs> I did, thank God, the cyber school program was still with my school district. So I did get to graduate on time with my class. So that was like a big deal for me. And I was able still to go to two different proms because I met my now husband. Well, I, I've known him for like years before that, but we reconnected when I was actually at my sickest. So if you think you're too sick to find love, that's a lie. <laughs> oh, okay. Talk about that. Everybody's interested in that. <laughs> I know everyone's like, who's going to love me when I'm this ill? And I'm telling you, you find the right person. It doesn't matter how ill you are. You know, if they're the right person and they're meant to be, it'll be. That's what I like to say. 
well, do you mind sharing details? Like, how did you reconnect? And like, how, what did you do? What We went to the same elementary school and we were in the same grade, but never in the same class. So it's kind of funny how like that happened. And then I made this Facebook status of all things, which I never do. I never complain on Facebook. And I complained for the one time in my life and it got me a husband. So... <laughs> <laughs> But um, I said something like, oh, I just can't take this anymore because of my illness. And he messaged me and was like, hey, are you okay? Like he offered to pray for me because we're Christians. And I was like, oh, that's so nice. This guy's so nice. And um, we originally just started like hanging out as friends. But pretty much the first time we he just picked me up and we went to go get coffee. And I, you know, sat the whole time. So it wasn't a big deal. I and mean, I told him like, you know, if I tell you I got to go home, you got to take me home because otherwise I'm going to be on the floor. <laughs> We had coffee dates a lot and just kind of naturally, you know, we liked each other. So it just started from there and we'd have movie dates and what we called nap dates. So after school, we would literally take a nap Oh, and everyone's like, oh no, they're like, are you doing bad stuff? No, we literally <laughs> were taking a nap because he worked construction and I was sick. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so nice. Yeah, so we had nap dates a lot and I would try to get out and do stuff when I can and he was very supportive of, you know, taking care of me if I didn't feel well. Oh, that is wonderful. Shout out to him. Yay. Yeah, um, he's the best. <laughs> okay, and but it sounds like you have improved somewhat since then? I have, yes. Can you talk about that? Yeah, so fast forward a little bit about like a year after high school graduation, um, I went to Johns Hopkins and I got my diagnosis of Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome. So not only do I have Lyme, I have EDS too. Lucky me. <laughs> so I started physical therapy for that and that helped my pain a lot. So I just got, you know, strengthened up. I would have less dislocations. Obviously they didn't go away, but it made it better. And then still to this day, I do chiropractor and massage very regularly because for me, that is what manages my pain well and allows me to function pain-wise. And then actually at the office that I work at now as a health coach, um, I got my Lyme diagnosis just a year ago, actually. So it was like very recent. We always kind of suspected I had Lyme, but we were never really given like a true result. So that's been really great. And then also learning that I lived in a house full of toxic mold for 21 years. Oh. So kind of this perfect storm of like all these things that make you sick. Yeah. I have been on medicine to get the mold out of my system and been doing treatments for Lyme naturopathically. So I'm going the natural route. I have done antibiotics in the past. This is what works for me right now. I'm a big believer in both natural and traditional medicine together, not one or the other. Yeah. Okay. So how much better are you? Right now, I have my days, you know, like you'll have a day where you have more pain or uh, an episode where like you'll feel like faint, but then it passes and usually I'm able to continue, you know, what I was doing. So right now I work and I drive and I'm married and independent and um, I think I still do some things just to kind of make my life a little bit easier. Like I sit in the shower just because why exhaust yourself for no reason, <laughs> you know, but I even get to exercise about three, four days a week now. So that's nice. Like, I'm very happy with my quality of life right now. <laughs> Excellent. Can I ask more? You had mentioned, I think, physical therapy and massage and chiropractic helping you. Yes. Were you able to get insurance to pay for all of that? And especially with the massage, because I think a lot of people, of course, love massage and it's so healthy. I think there's some great evidence around it. 
Is that anything you've ever been able to get covered on a regular basis? So some places do, like if your massage therapist is in your chiropractor's office, sometimes that's usually the way that you can get it covered by insurance. But if you have like a health savings account, you can pay for massages through that, which is really great. I know some people have those. Obviously, the physical therapy was ordered by Johns Hopkins, so my insurance covered that for the most part. I believe there was some co-pays. Same with the chiropractor. I think I pay about $30 every time I go. In some places, charge you like 80 So really, it, you just have kind of have to find a place that you like and help treat you well and is reasonably priced. Do they have to do special things to look out for your Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome? The physical therapy, yes, because obviously if you do certain exercises, like you can dislocate things. So thankfully they knew what they were doing when they gave me those exercise recommendations. And I think that's really important on a side note for a lot of people that think, oh, I can't exercise. It's knowing how to and also getting to the point where you are well enough to. Mm-hmm. But my chiropractor, they don't really do anything I'd say special. They just know that I come in once a week because something's definitely out of place. <laughs> okay. And for a massage, they can give you a normal massage? Yeah. Yeah. Totally normal. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. Are you one of those 1.4% of POTS patients that actually can sleep or is it not that helpful? No, I can sleep, but I haven't always been able to sleep. So right now, yes. In the past, I could not sleep. <laughs> so ah, okay. I've been both. So if you're struggling and you can't sleep right now, there's a chance that you can in the future. <laughs> so don't get too terribly discouraged. Okay. So tell us about that. How did you go from no sleep to sleep? Treatment. So the most important thing is I like to tell people and like my clients is like you treat the underlying cause of your POTS. Now, not all of us know what it is. And I always urge people to keep fighting until you figure it out. Because if the doctor says, oh, you have POTS, we don't know what's causing it. Eh, red flag. They didn't look deep enough. You need to go to someone else or some other specialist because you can get to the bottom of it. <laughs> Might take years. I try to help my clients and help it take less time because I know how annoying that is, <laughs> but you can get to the bottom of it. So that is like the number one recommendation is treat the underlying cause of your POTS. A lot of people too with like Ehlers-Danlos syndrome, like if you have it so severe where like you're bedridden, obviously that's not going to help your POTS. Like we know that being in bed 24-7 can make it worse. So that's why I like to say like, you know, go find a good doctor like at Johns Hopkins, get into physical therapy. They know how to help you because they look at things like your heart rate and stuff too. So they'll know if they're pushing you too hard or anything like that. So I think that that really helped me sleep just correcting the imbalances in your body. A lot of us don't realize how food can trigger pot symptoms and how stress, how sensitive we are to stress and things like that. There's tons and tons of factors that go into why you can't sleep as a POTS patient. And I think there's different factors for every single person, depending on what goes on in your life. So it sounds like just putting in the hard work to experiment, figure it out, try things. Yeah. So what are the main things that you still have to do every day to make sure you feel good? So every day, obviously, I take some medicine. I take Zoloft, which is actually an antidepressant, but it calms your nervous system. So I think that's one of the things, too. Um, Now that I'm thinking about it, thank you for saying that. That helps me sleep. It just kind of overall helps calm your nervous system down. So it's just something I take every day and I've actually been able to start weaning off of it. So that's great. I'm trying to think anything else. Exercising regularly for me personally is very, very helpful just because, you know, when you strengthen your muscles, it helps push the blood up to your head. Mm -hmm. Simple as that, even though exercising with POTS is not simple. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
like you mentioned, sleep. Sleep is really important. If I do not get proper sleep, I will most likely have a bad POTS day. So if you're not sleeping well, you're sort of in this never-ending cycle of like, oh, I feel horrible. That's why, you know, putting in the work and finding a good doctor, because it's not always in our control, you know, to put in the work because you have to have the right healthcare professionals to help you. But sleep is so important finding things that you enjoy and that you can do because uh, stress, I think, plays a really big role. Like if I'm stressed out, my pots flares. So having hobbies, activities that you love to do, things that de-stress you are very important to have in your life as well as obviously water and salt. And for me, I have to follow a very, very strict diet in order to feel okay. So one interesting thing about your relationship with your husband is that you met when you were probably the most limited in what you could do yeah. and now you could do more whereas a lot of us got married or met our significant other at a time when we could do more and then it got less so what's it like to be able to have so many more options of what you do together now than at first it's really nice it kind of makes you appreciate like the little things we went kayaking one day and we were both like literally giddy because we were like oh my gosh look at us go you know like <laughs> who would have thought we'd be out here doing this but i can say like i've been on both sides because i had a time where i got almost completely better and then i got re-exposed to some mold when i was cleaning in the house i lived in as well as like a really really stressful time i was going through in my life and so i started eating gluten and things again things that i shouldn't that trigger my pots i actually got like so incredibly ill that i could do nothing again and this was right after we got married I've been on both sides of it, so like I know how it goes when you're like, oh crap. I was always worried like, oh, this is totally not what he signed up for, <laughs> like, because I was supposed to be getting better, but I'm back now, thank God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wow. So I'm guessing you're probably pretty careful now. Actually, can you talk more about the mold? Where was this mold yeah. and how did you find out about it and what do you do now to avoid it? Yeah, absolutely. So the mold was in my parents' house. The basement flooded pretty much every time we'd have a heavy rain. And they just kind of stored like random stuff down there that we never really touched. So just that with the moisture and the humidity and all grew mold really bad. There was some mold like in the walls and the ceiling, on the windows. It was an old house and we live in a very humid area. Not like you didn't keep the house clean or anything. Like mold just needs the humidity and things like that to grow. So I didn't actually realize that it was a problem since I lived with it pretty much my whole life. You know, it just kind of was like, I thought it was like an ugly cosmetic thing. You know, it wasn't like a serious issue or anything until I actually saw a health coach and she was like, you, you sound like you have mold illness. And I was like, well, what's that? Like, how do you get that? And so I started doing some research and lo and behold, I did. The test came back. I have mold illness. So now I actually, to this day, I can't go to my parents' house for more than like 10 minutes at a time just because breathing in the mold spores can just flare my symptoms because I'm one of those unfortunate people that are very sensitive to it most likely because I have the EDS and Lyme disease because it didn't make my other family members quite as sick so you know, I like to put that out there too. If anyone thinks that there's mold where they work or where they live and they're really ill and other people aren't, that doesn't mean that it's not the mold's fault. Like it still can be because 25% of people can't actually detox genetically like from the mold. 
Right. I've heard that. So now I guess you just have to be careful. Like when you're on Airbnb, I've always thought that like Airbnb and VRBO and stuff should have a setting for people who need super clean environments without odors and cleaning products and mold. But I guess you just have to be super careful about where you commit to spending time. Yeah, usually I just look at the pictures and try to go with like, you know, things that are kind of more high end, but not, you know, I'm not rich by any means. So like I'm not staying at like five star hotels or anything, but just things that are nice and clean. Generally, you know, not go to motels or anything like that. And I always call or send a message before because I have chemical sensitivities. I say, do you put air fresheners in your rooms? And if you have any plugins or anything like that, like I need them out days before or I can't stay there and things like that. So just try to be as prepared as possible. And I always bring my own towels and my own sheets. Ah, and do they listen to you when you ask them to remove the fragrances? I have had everyone except for one time listen to me, yes. Okay, that's a great idea. Yeah, I've been at hotels before where you can just tell there's a plug-in scent and you, you know, mm -hmm. go, I creep around looking for it and I unplug it when nobody's looking, but then the next yes. day it's plugged <laughs> in again. <laughs> yeah. And it kills me that there are now places that want to have signature scents, like hotels. I know, I hate that. I hate that. <laughs> and it's so toxic and oh my goodness. But that's really smart to call ahead and ask for that. That's a great tip. Is there anything else like that or anything else that you like wish you had known sooner? Oh gosh, I wish I knew a lot of stuff sooner and this isn't long enough, but the couple main things if I can think about like points wise, not every single doctor is going to be knowledgeable about pots and stuff. So even though a doctor tells you something, it doesn't mean that it's correct not knocking doctors at all, but it doesn't always mean that it's the end all be all or that it's correct. Always get a second opinion and advocate for yourself. I think the second thing would be don't put yourself in situations where you know that you're going to become ill. Like don't go to a festival when it's 97 degrees outside and you're going to get really hot and pass out sooner. Like that's probably not a good idea. <laughs> don't get on a roller coaster. Like very obvious things like that. And some of that's too coming to terms with your illness. So it takes time. You know, like I said, calling ahead, asking, you know, do you have an air freshener? Like if I'm going over to someone's house I haven't been to before, I'll ask, I'll say, hey, do you guys have an air freshener? Would you mind unplugging it like a day before I come? Because I'm allergic to them. And usually people are pretty nice about it. I'll tell my friends, like, you know, they all know, like, don't wear perfume when you hang out with me. And, you know, if your friends love you, they'll respect that. Things like that. Always carry a water bottle. I have mine with me all the time. Always have emergency things in your purse. You know, get a small little purse that's not heavy. Just put it across your body, you know, if you're a girl. If you're a guy too, carry purse, whatevs. But, you know, keep your stuff in your purse. Keep your salt tablets, your rescue inhaler, EpiPen, liquid IVs, whatever you have that you can take in a pinch because a lot of times we get anxiety about getting sick somewhere. And um, one of the best pieces of advice I've ever gotten is have a plan for when you get sick, when you're out and about doing something, because then you feel more in control of the situation and you have A, B, and C things that you can do in order to help yourself. That's great advice. I know that I always feel the worst when I'm worried if I forget my EpiPen. Then of course, yeah. that's when I'm worried about getting stung by a bee. And so of yeah. course the stress of that makes you more likely to have a mast cell reaction. And then you realize, oh, 
it's not just about having the EpiPen for the emergency, it's for the relaxation of not worrying about it. It really is. It's all part of it. And that's why I recommend like getting a bag or a purse or a backpack or whatever it is that you carry that you take everywhere. I mean, if I run into a store for 10 minutes, I take my purse Mm -hmm. and my EpiPen is always in my purse and I never take it out. Mm-hmm. you know, unless you use it, which, you know, hopefully that doesn't have to happen. But it's one of those things. So you don't have to question if you forgot it. Like you always take your purse, which always has your EpiPen, no matter what. Smart. I love it. Yeah. Do you have <laughs> anything that you would say if there's a listener out there right now who is at their all-time worst, mm-hmm. kind of like you when you were at your all-time worst, is there anything that you can think of that you would have wanted to hear at that point? Oh, probably lots of things for lots of situations. I would just say, listen to the tips that I just gave. It's okay to not be okay, not to do anything, you know, if you're sick in bed or anything. You don't need to get stuck in the cycle of feeling bad about it because you have no control over it. So it is what it is. You know, listen to the tips that I've given and know it takes time to mourn your old self before you become okay with your new self. And that's when you can kind of start to get better and try different things find out who you are now and stuff like that. And I always would tell people, um, I don't know if you share information on here, but I would tell them to come see me because I became a health coach because I want to be the person that I wish I had when I was sick. So that is why I'm so passionate about, you know, what I do. And if someone needs help, I'm here to help. And that's what I want to do. And that's what I feel like I've been called to do in this life. So that's great. And it's great that you found so much meaning in that. So a moment ago, you said becoming okay with your new self, you know, Mm -hmm. saying goodbye to your old self. Do you feel like your old self and new self are very different? Yes and no. There was a time when I did, but then I kind of realized, one, you mature, you grow up, you know, so you're a little bit different than you were because I was, you know, a teenager when I got sick, but... I'm still me. You know, I still like the things that I like. It doesn't matter if I'm sick or not. Like, I still like Taylor Swift and doing dances and singing and karaoke and campfires. And like, you know, it doesn't matter. Like, I still like all those things that I liked before. So I'm still me. I just have a certain way that I have to live now in order to continue to be me. And that is, I think, the biggest motivation for sticking to living healthy and eating healthy and taking care of myself. Because, I mean, let's be honest, when you have a chronic illness, especially POTS, like taking care of yourself becomes pretty much your full-time job if you want to function. Right. You just kind of have to accept that and then you're more free to be yourself again. Yeah. Very nice. Are you up for a speed round where we just ask you to say the first thing that comes to mind? Okay. (laughs) What is your favorite way to get salt? Liquid IVs. What is the drink that you find the most hydrating? Water. (laughs) What is your favorite time of day and why? Nighttime, because I like to be cozy. (laughs) Ah. Where is your favorite place to spend time? The beach. How many doctors have you seen for Potslime EDS? Probably like 50. (laughs) How many other POTS patients have you ever met face-to-face in the flesh? Probably like 50. (laughs) What is one word that describes what it's like living with chronic illness? Annoying. (laughs) What is some good advice anyone ever gave you about anything? Always be yourself and be kind. (laughs) That's like very generic, but... (laughs) Yeah, but good though. What is something small or inexpensive that brings you comfort or joy? Cereal. Hmm. (laughs) 
and french fries. It's <laughs> not expecting cereal. I like that. <laughs> Who is someone you admire? My husband. What is something that you're proud of? How well I function right now. Yeah. What is the toughest thing about POTS? The being so misunderstood mm. by doctors and other people. What is an activity you can enjoy even when you're feeling really potsy? Karaoke. <laughs> what is something that helps you fall asleep besides anything that you've mentioned already? I listen to like positive affirmations with like sleepy music. Oh, nice. <laughs> what gives you energy when you need it? Food, good food. What is a gift you would have sent to every POTS patient if you had infinite funds? A back massager. What is something you are grateful for? My family. Please finish the sentence. I love it when... Have a good day. <laughs> mm -hmm. I hate it when... People are mean. Mm. Have you ever had to sit or lie down in a weird place because of pots? And if so, where was it? Yes, the bathroom floor in like the school building. Multiple bathroom floors in multiple buildings, actually. We'll just go with that. <laughs> okay, yeah. <laughs> Building up your immune resistance with all those germs. Yeah. I just have a couple more questions. Okay. What do you wish more people knew about POTS? I am a very strong believer, and I have said this already, that there is an underlying cause for why you have POTS. And if you want to treat your POTS well, you need to treat what is causing your POTS. Nice. And... Is there anything else you want to say to your fellow POTS patients who might be listening right now? Probably just to hang in there and know that somebody understands. Uh, so you're not alone, even though it feels very isolating. And you got this. Beautiful. We'll just end it right there. Couldn't say anything better. Catherine, thank you so much for sharing your story and your insights you. with us. We really appreciate it. And I know that everybody listening is psyched for you. And oh, we just have to ask, what kind of puppies do you have? Oh, I have a Border Collie named Ollie and a Golden Retriever named Bubba. Ollie was originally my service dog and he failed very miserably, but now he is my <laughs> baby, so it's fine. <laughs> There's redemption for all of us. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, couldn't end without hearing about the puppies. So thanks again, Catherine, and all our best. And we really appreciate hearing all your wisdom and, and insights. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. And hey, listeners, I hope you enjoyed today's conversation. We'll be back again next week. Till then, thank you for listening. Remember, you're not alone. And please join us again soon. As a reminder, anything you hear on this podcast is not medical advice. Consult your healthcare team about what's right for you. This show is a production of Standing Up to Pots, which is a 501c3 nonprofit organization. You can send us feedback or make a tax-deductible donation at www.standinguptopots.org. You can also engage with us on social media at the handle Standing Up to Pots. If you like what you heard today, please consider subscribing to our podcast and sharing it with your friends and family. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts or at www.thepodscast.com. Thanks for listening.